Well, we've been looking together, haven't we, at um, the presence of God. And um, wanted to th- us to think about this idea of a holy God. If I say the word holy, what other words come into your mind when I say the word holy? Set apart. What was that one? Another one, was there? Holy. Pure, special. Pure. Any others? Righteous. Perfect. Okay, so we've got quite a few words for holy. Some of them were there, some of the others has some words about holy. So there's a bit of an assumption made in and uh, Pete Garrett and I have spent some time talking about this, haven't we Pete? And um, he was saying that a good question to ask us all, two questions actually, is God holy? Alright? So what's, what's your answer to that question? God holy? Yes. Yes. God is God holy? The question is this. Now, Vladimir, Jonathan, Glenis, all of you, are you holy? <laughs> Slightly less see across the life of the, the, the group. It, it's certainly a, a troubling question, isn't it? It's unsettling, isn't it, to be asked the question. uh, You know, to to be said, I am holy. For me to be able to say, I am holy, is a little bit kind of presumptuousy. Do you mind if I move the flax? Because I'm going to fall over them. I'll probably make it worse now. There we go. So, is God holy? Yes. Are you holy? Not so certain. Leviticus 19.2 says this, Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So certainly there's an intention there that we should be a holy people. Yes. Yeah? That's certainly the intention. In Romans 1.20, Paul makes the case that we have a no excuse in understanding who God is. He says this, ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, divine, sometimes, certainly a reference things, the word sometimes used as another word for holy. So his eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things he has made. So there is certainly evidence that God is 
is holy. God's moral condition is one of holiness. And it was clear from the beginning that he intended us to have a holy world. Wasn't it? That was the idea at the beginning, that the world would be a holy place. He created a holy space. Eden. And in that holy place, he put two people who were, at that time, holy people. Are we with me with that so far? They were, yeah. So we had a holy people in a holy place with a holy God. Still with me, yeah? Okay, good. What we see, though, of course, is that it didn't stay that way. And we do not now live in a morally holy place, a a holy, pure world, do we? No. So what we see is an unholy world. And there's a challenge and a difficulty with that because God's purity, we learn throughout the the Word of God, means that he cannot dwell where there is impurity. They cannot be in a place. You cannot have his holiness in the same place as impurity, as sin. And we see that from the first accounts of God. What did God do from the garden? What did he have to do with Adam and Eve? Kick them out. Yes, he kicked them out. He sent them out and have that impurity dwelling in the same place as purity. And all the way from then to the point where we arrive in Scripture today, in a verse and verse we're going to look at, um, we have of to be back in relationship with God. And we get individuals like Abraham who, who managed to find ways to um, please God. So let's look at the, the passage we're going to look at today. It's, it's quite a long passage, so hold your horses, guys. And um, it's in Leviticus chapter 16. And we're going to look at that now. Is the next one? In a moment it will be, yeah. Okay. Leviticus chapter 16. So we're going to read this passage. I think I'm reading it from the NIV. So here we go. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they'd approached the presence of the Lord and died. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, or he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Aaron shall enter the holy place with this, with a bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy tunic, linen tunic and the linen undergarments shall be next to his body and he shall be girded with a linen sash and attired with a linen turban. These are holy garments. 
Then he shall bathe his body in water and put them on. He shall take from the congregation of the sons of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Then Aaron shall offer the bull for the sin offering, which is for himself, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot for the Lord fell and make it a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it, to send it into the wilderness as the scapegoat. Okay? Go with me. A bit more. I'm going down to verse 22. Then Aaron shall offer the bull of a of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his household. And he shall slaughter the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself. He shall take a firepan full of coals of fire from upon the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of finely ground sweet incense, and bring it inside the veil. He shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, uh, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat the ark of the testimony, otherwise he will die. Moreover, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. Also in front of the mercy seat shall he, he shall sprinkle some blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering which is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. He shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel and because of their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And thus he shall do for the tent of meeting which abides with them in the midst of their impurities. When he goes in to make atonement in the holy place, no one shall be in the tent of meeting until he comes out, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar on all sides." With his finger he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it seven times and cleanse it and from the impurities of the sons of Israel consecrate it. When he finishes atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar he shall offer the live goat. Then Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins and he shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a solitary land and he shall release the goat into the wilderness. Whoa. Quite a long passage. Quite a complicated passage. And what we see is a passage which helps us in our understanding of how it is that we today can enter into the presence of a holy God. And it seems an incredibly primitive kind of thing. 
here we are in 2013, here I am with my clicker and my, you know, technology, and here we are sitting, very sophisticated, 2013, talking about a ritual that goes back thousands of years. And what we see happening here is that um, we have the high priest bringing this altar, uh, this sacrifice, these sacrifices, to make atonement. What we need to start with is a bit of backstory, really. Because we start with the, the, the beginning of that passage in, in, in chapter 16. We had a story of two guys. It refers to two blokes who went into the place and they died in the presence of God. They went in there and they, they just got killed. So we've got some backstory there. There's something going on. And what seems to happen next is, is God is concerned to ensure that this doesn't keep happening, that they get it right. Now, we don't know quite why the two other priests died. There's all sorts of um, theories. One theory is that they were drunk. They went in. Other theories are that they went in when they just shouldn't have done, and they knew they shouldn't have but out of pride in their position. There are different reasons why, but they went in in sin, into the presence of God. And we've already agreed together that sin and God don't abide in the same place. So that's what happened. It's hard stuff. So what God is doing here is giving Moses and Aaron, the, the priest, a way of enabling the priests to come into the presence of God and a way of making it possible for the people... And this is the important, begins to be the important bit for us, for the people to draw closer to God, having lost that ability. The method was full of symbolism, helping the people to understand something very important. First, that God is a very holy God, and that you cannot enter his presence with any sin in your life, otherwise that's it. you will die because the penalty for sin is death and we'll come to that a little bit more in a minute it's, it's hard to hear that isn't it it's hard for you 21st century Christians to hear that it is the penalty for sin is death it doesn't say anything about this sin or that sin and I'll come to that in a minute but it says the penalty for sin is death and the method used was through the idea of the sacrifice of animals. God took something that the people would have been quite familiar with from surrounding culture, and that's an interesting point in itself. He took something which they were familiar with because the idea of using blood sacrifice to atone for sin was in surrounding cultures as well. Blood was seen as the life and the animal was killed in your place. Some Jewish scholars, I read, speak of a specific choice of animal to remind of their, them of the sins. It's quite interesting how you, you find these things when you're reading, and, and some of you all say, I'm not interested in this at all, but there we go, I'll go for it anyway. There was a Who had to sacrifice the bull? Who was it sacrificed for? Anybody remember? The, the bull that was sacrificed had a specific 
purpose, it was sacrificed for Aaron. Aaron and his sons. Okay? And there were two goats. And the goats were sacrificed for the children of Israel. Aaron's big sin in the wilderness was the golden calf. The, the, and so some scholars, Jewish scholars particularly, believe that the, I, the sacrifice of the bull for Aaron was to remind him every year of the, the sin that he, led, that he led the people of Israel in sin into worshipping a golden calf. The goats is another interesting one because you have a, a goat was used by the sons of Jacob for a particular sin that they did. They put the blood of a goat on Joseph's coat and took it to his father and said, he's dead, he's gone. They deceived him, they lied. And the sons of Israel were, that was their sin. So scholars perhaps propose that the goat was used as a reminder to the sons of Israel, the tribes of Israel, of their sin in deceiving that way. Similarly, when Peter and I were talking, he talked about the symbolism of, um, if you can see the red stone, these, these things here, the stones. He's wearing, the priest is wearing the stones of, um, the, representing each of the tribes of Israel. He's wearing them close to his heart, these things here. He's also got stones on, in his shoulder here. So he's carrying, again, 12 stones, carrying the stones on his, bearing Israel on his shoulders and bearing Israel close to his heart as he goes in to carry the, uh, to do the sacrifice. Wonderful symbolism, isn't it? It's, it's powerful stuff, very, very symbolic. And, and when you start to look into it, you see some amazing things. But we see something else, don't we? The scapegoat. Interesting how a word comes into the language, doesn't it? The idea of the scapegoat. People would be able to tell you what a scapegoat was, but perhaps wouldn't be able to tell you its origins. And here are the origins. There's the goat with the priest, put his hands on the goat to put the sin onto uh, the goat. And then it, wa- it wasn't sacrificed Symbolically, they passed the sin of Israel onto the goat and was driven far into the wilderness, never to be seen again. Now, this primitive-sounding ritual had to be carried out each and every year and was being done in the time of Jesus. Every year they do it. This is all done out of the longing the people had to be at peace with God, to be restored in their relationship with him, to be reconciled, in their friendship with God. And you guys are all the same. You have a longing, a desire to maintain a relationship with God. Yes? And we know that we can have a relationship with God. And we're just going to uh, look at that. It's not surprising that for you to, to understand as well, and I'm sure all of you do, that God also wants that relationship with us. 
It's not a, a one-way street. He wants to have that relationship with us, and we want it to have it with him. But a holy God and a sinful humanity cannot coexist. But we're not doing those sacrifices anymore, are we? I don't put on funny clothes and get a bull and... <laughs> well, as long as you, as far as you know, you don't, don't. That's right. Sin is sin, and God is God. They haven't changed. But there is a very common danger, and it's not just a modern problem, that sin is not all the same. It's considered to be different. Some is worse than others. Now, maybe the punishment will be, but I, I don't, to be honest, that's not the point. God considers all sin the same. In the Bible we see that God is not in the slightest bit interested in the idea of classes of sin. That's a human invention. If you think about the way Jesus spoke about um, the danger of talking about somebody as a, you know, saying somebody's a fool. He described him as, you know, death. They're talking about um, adultery and, and all of those things and, and he, he's very strong on sin. But he doesn't make this kind of, well, there's this class of sin and that class of sin. Because what that's led to this entirely human invention is some of very strange and, and very clever on the part of the enemy little distractions. The idea of the sale of indulgences by the Roman Catholic Church in the medieval times. The idea that if you went and you could have time off from your punishment from your sins, depending how bad your sin was, depended on how much you paid, depending on how, and, and you got time off from being in that place they had the idea of called purgatory, which is not in the Bible at all. It's not true. And, and yet it is very easy to find ourselves doing similar things in our heads with sin. With sin. Modern day corruptions such as the idea of a white lie and other similar notions. Now you might say, well, Tim, hang on a minute. Well, we're just a bit... We're just... You know, there's... we'll deal with what we can do about the sin in a minute. But let's not pretend, any one of us, for one minute, that sin is not sin. There's a way... But we have to start off by recognising the truth of sin. It's not popular to have preaching on sin. I've done it a couple of times. But um, I just wanted to make sure that we were clear in this. Let's not fool ourselves. And this is where it's going to get... Yeah, you're going to go, don't know, Tim. In God's house, we get this idea that somehow in God's eyes, rape or paedophilia or international fraud are more sinful than my choice to watch a saucy film, saucy film, um, on, when I know I shouldn't, or indulge in a bit of innocent gossip. Similarly, homosexual sin and heterosexual sin are just both that. They are both sin. Sin is the great leveller, and hell is that too. Kings and paupers, priests 
and prostitutes, atheists, Christians, and Satanists. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Short. I go from something very serious to just being reminded of this character. Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner, he's always running across the cliff and he's always got that hope. There's always that, I'm going to get to the other side, isn't there? There's always that kind of... And sometimes he's got his claws in the, in the cliff on the opposite side and he's going down the cliff on the other side. I think it's in Romans, isn't it, the passage? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The problem is, of course, we're not We cannot pick ourselves up down for the next episode of Looney Tunes. We are human beings and we fall short of the glory of God. I'd like us to turn, please, to... 1 John 1 and verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we him out a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Powerful stuff. This would not be a good time for any of you who had to leave to go because you're missing the important bit of the story. (laughs) Make sure that if uh, you have to leave in the next two minutes, you get the rest of the recording or something because this is pretty gloomy stuff at the moment. Then we get this. We have a holy God and a sinful humanity. And what's the expression we're all looking for at this moment? But God. God. And actually it's in the next verse. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the in our defence. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And what is he? What is he? You say it. What is he? He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. All that I just mentioned. All that stuff. It's all covered, isn't it? Every bit of it. There isn't one bit of it that's not covered. So we don't have to worry. It's all covered. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. There's that word atonement again. Atonement. Sometimes people will take that word atonement. I was going to do this especially. Uh, and we'll, we'll turn it into three words. Atonement. What God does in atonement is bring about an atonement with us. He turns us from divided into one. He reconciles us through Christ. Now, I want to look at some very helpful verses. Nearly finished. 
Um, I'd like us to turn, please, um, to some verses in Hebrews chapter 10, um, because they help bring clarity to our understanding of Leviticus 16 and how Jesus is our atonement. So Hebrews 10, please. Verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it's talking about the law now, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, verse 5, Therefore when Christ came into the world, he said this, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, this is Christ saying this, Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will. Oh God. Let me pause there and remind you what I said about the priests who carried those twelve stones at their heart. And on their shoulders. Jesus carries us in that same way to the cross. He carries us in his heart and our sins upon his back. Verse 8. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Can we all say that verse 10 together, please? And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Great, isn't it? Is that good? Yeah. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice he has made, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Thank you, Lord. This is an amazing truth. All that we read in Leviticus 16 was a pale copy of what Jesus did, isn't it? It's all, it was all for this to happen. 
Amazing truth. But you see, we've got to be so very, very careful because we're human beings. And what we do is we take something wonderfully truthful and we go and muck it up in our heads. Because we're human beings. And we take this wonderful truth and we start to think, okay, right, he's done that amazing thing for me. What can I do to earn that then? We do, don't we? We start to think, okay, well, because of that amazing thing he's done, I'm, if I do this and this and this and this and this, maybe, maybe I'll be good enough. I'll stack it up here. I'll do this, I'll serve, I'll help, I'll do, I'll do, I'll do, I'll do. It's rubbish, isn't it? It's been done. It's been, nothing, nothing we can do. Nothing we can do will ever, ever, ever be enough. This is, uh, I've, I've said this before, so I'm reluctant to say it again. This is a, a scene from the end of the film, Ryan, when after going all across France, this guy, to save this guy, for reasons we don't need to go into now, but he, he goes across France with a whole bunch of guys and dies saving this guy. Who knows the story? Have you seen the story of Saving Private Ryan? Yeah, only a few of you. It's an amazing film, quite gory in places, but it's an amazing film. And this guy, as he's dying, says to this guy, earn this. And the tragedy of that is it portrays the idea that in some way it's possible to earn kind of sacrifice and there's a tragic scene where 60 years on that man who was saved is standing by the grave with his family as an old man and he's asking his family the tears down his running down his cheeks he's asking please tell me I've been a good man please tell me I've been good a man a good man he's desperate for them because he wanted it and we can't earn it we can't where does that leave us where where are you now as a result of this what do you have as a result of this a relationship with a loving God you're his friend now you're close to him you can walk with him and love him and you're his friend and friends develop relationship I look around this, this room and I, I, I've known many of you for many years and my friendship for you is genuine out of love and yeah I, I, I could turn around and say I come to church on Sundays and I shake someone's hand and I go away again that would be cobblers wouldn't it it was rubbish it's about relationship. It's about developing relationship. It's about building relationship. It's about building friendship. And that's what God is calling us to. It's what he longed for. That's why he, Jesus came. That we might have that. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And, and God knows about it. Again, Pete and I were looking in that amazing passage in 1 Corinthians 13 when it talks about love and how the if I'm just a gong or a symbol, 
words and doing and stuff. It's, a, it's rubbish. It's a, like a symbol or a, you know, it's got to be real. The relationship's got, got to be real. That doesn't mean I'm turning it back again to the do, do, do. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, if you've been loved that much, if you've been loved that much, respond to that love. He's calling to you. You already have, most of you, all of you, um, to that love call. We have been loved so much, forgiven so much, and reconciled to God.